What if you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 134, my friends? We've come to the end of the journey, the series of Psalms, Psalm 134. And as you find that place in your Bibles, let's uh, take a moment now to prepare ourselves to hear from God. Let's pray. Father, we hear many messages during the week. We hear messages on TV. We get many text messages, emails. We uh, have people teaching us things in one medium or another, web pages at school. Father, rarely do we have the opportunity as one group to hear you. Help us to be ready to come with expectation to hear from the living God through his word. Father, for we pray it in the name of your dear son, Jesus. Amen. So, my friends, let's then look at Psalm 134 and listen to God's word. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night. In the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Well, as we come now to the last in this series on the Psalms of Ascent, I hope that immediately you are conscious that for the psalmist, the end of the journey is a good place to be. Often we start out on a path or a career or along some trajectory of life, and as we come to the end, we have a sense of disappointment that it is not as good as we had hoped it would be. Even if we win our sports league or our team gets the crown at the end of the season, the next morning life must go on and even the best, the very best of human journeys end with a sense of at least mild disappointment. But not here. This journey ends with unmitigated praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, celebration, and its most prominent word repeated three times once for each of the three verses, blessing. Now, we all need to look very carefully at that word blessing, for it is the key that unlocks not only this psalm, 
But the whole series of psalms with which we have been journeying, these songs of ascents, before we specifically consider what it means to bless God and what it means to be blessed by God, I want us to start with a simple but utterly essential realization that whatever it means, it clearly means something good. The story used often to be told to undergraduates at Cambridge when I was there as they considered what career path to take, what journey to embark upon, about a person who arranges everything very carefully in their life, but does so without consideration of the claims of Christ. First, that person would graduate well with a good degree. Then that person and their plans would go to the city and get a job in a bank. Then that person would work his way up until he could buy a house in the suburbs, get married, have children. Then that person would take on the bank himself as a senior director, receive all the plaudits of the world. As the story unfolded, at each time we would ask, and then, or what next, as the journey continued. After college, a career. After the career begins a family. After the family, retirement. And then? Golf, perhaps. Or a retirement home, somewhere nice and pleasant. And then? We would ask. Enjoying their grandchildren. And then? We would ask. What next? And as the journey continued, it became obvious that if the end of the journey is not a blessed place to be, then the whole journey itself is null and void. And so I want you to notice that this passage, right at the start, as we just begin to introduce its main theme now, that this passage is showing us that the end of the journey with God is a place of unmitigated goodness. There is no disappointment here, not a whiff, not a particle, not a nano-minuscule moment of disappointment. The person who follows this gospel journey on their pilgrimage with God through their life will end that journey with unmitigated, unparalleled, untarnished, complete and utter blessing. So as we just introduced this passage, I want us to realize that this passage is simply telling us that life with God ends well. Other lifestyles may accumulate more temporary plaudits and more possessions, but a life with God is one that ends well, and as Shakespeare put it, all is well that ends well. A person who wins the race at the end of the race may not have been able to stop halfway round in a leisurely fashion. But the fact that they win the race at the end, that makes any suffering or difficulty along the path more than worth it. And by contrast, this psalm implicitly is showing us a life that does not end like this is not a journey worth following. 
It is not worth living a life where you are frightened of death or of the judgment to come or you are unsure what today's activity will bring you tomorrow as one day you face the living Lord. Instead, the psalm is saying, come on this journey, the journey of God, the journey that leaves behind the fake and the nominal Christianity to embark on a journey of radical discipleship, following Christ wherever He calls for this psalm, the end of the journey tells us that journey ends well. Now that is the feeling of the psalm. Celebration. We have arrived. It is coming to the last homely house. And realizing, therefore, that the journey through the wilds was definitely worth it. But, of course, the question that occurs once we have made these immediate observations about what a good end to the journey this final psalm in the Psalms of Ascent describes for us, the question then is, what is it that makes it so good? What is it that makes following the Christian path, the way of the pilgrim seeking first the kingdom of God, what is it that makes the journey so good by ending so well? And here we come now, having introduced the theme of the psalm of ending well, to the three-time repeated word blessing and the central proposition of this psalm. This psalm has as its main proposition that a life Lived for God ends well because that is a life that blesses God and a life that is blessed by God. So then, my friends, first a life that blesses God. And this point describes, you'll see, the first two verses of the psalm. Both of those verses urge us to bless God. Come, bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now, I want you then to picture what is going on in this moment of celebration. Picture then the pilgrims arriving after their journey at the temple late at night. They've been traveling all day, and now they arrive at night, and they call upon those who are serving in the temple to rejoice with them that they have arrived. See, we know that the temple was never left unattended. It tells us that in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 33. And you see, there are always servants of the Lord present, tending to the temple and assuring its proper condition and readiness for the great services of the next day. Pilgrims who have just arrived call out then, Come, bless the Lord, to those who are serving in the temple, urging them to not simply go through the motions of tending to the ceremonies of the temple, but to be focused instead upon blessing God as they do, as John Calvin puts it in his commentary. To stand in the temple was a euphemism for ministering in the temple because the priests stood as they administered the sacrifices. It was common to lift up hands in prayer and praise, 
And so both pilgrims and priests are urged to raise their hands and bless the Lord. In the New Testament, those who are Christians are all priests, for we have access to God through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And so we are to urge each other to serve in God's house and for God's purposes with a focus upon blessing God and not just playing at church, not just going through the motions. Now, before we illustrate and then apply this point, that a life that is lived for God blesses God and therefore is a life that is to be pursued above all else, that it ends well and therefore is living well throughout life. Before we do that, illustrate and apply it, we need to be clear what it really means to bless God. How can we humans bless God? How can an inferior person, a subject, bless a superior person, a king? How can a created person, a human, bless his or her creator, the God of heaven and earth? Well, scholars have attempted various solutions to this conundrum because the idea of us being able to bless God does not merely occur in this psalm, but is fairly frequent throughout the Old Testament. For instance, Psalm 72 says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Or Genesis 24, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. How can this be? How can it not only be true that blessed be Abraham by God most high, but also blessed be God most high? Genesis 14. Or here, how can we not only receive blessing from God, but actually give blessing to God? Perhaps we need to ask another question. What does it actually mean to be blessed? In English, the word bless means to pronounce that something is good or to confer goodness upon something in a religious sense. And the word may actually have its origins in the old English word blood. It was used by the early translators with the sense of blessing because of the blood sacrifice, perhaps. A benediction, frequently used as a synonym for blessing, well, that word means a good saying, coming from the Latin root, meaning to say that something is good or well. In Hebrew, the word here for blessed may have the root meaning to kneel before something or someone, though not all agree with that derivation. Perhaps it is simplest to say uh, by analogy that this word blessed, often used of us blessing God and of God blessing us, this word blessed functions somewhat similarly to when we say that we speak to God, and God speaks to us. When we speak to God, we are speaking, and we speak human words necessarily. So when we bless God, we are blessing and give human blessing necessarily. When God speaks, He speaks God's words, utterly pure, without any error at all. And when He blesses, he gives God's blessing. 
And so the blessing of God by humans is a human blessing that God is good, a human declaration that God is good. And so what the pilgrims here are urging the priests to do, come bless the Lord, and what they themselves will do, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. What is that? It is to live a life, to utter words and do deeds in such a way that make it clear that God is good. They are being urged to live a life that honors God, to live a life that focuses upon God, to live for God, to say by their words and deeds that God is good, that He is blessed. They are not adding to the divine, eternal, complete, sufficient blessedness of God in His own infinite person. No, they are not adding to that. They are witnessing to it. They are declaring in their own experience through their journey that they have witnessed that a life lived for God is the happiest kind of life. They are blessing God that He is blessed and worth living for. It is their witness, their declaration, their blessing. Now, I am going to illustrate and apply this point about us blessing God, but there is one final aspect of this which very briefly we need to clarify, which is whether the hands lifted up in praise to God are mandatory, required, exemplary, to be an example to us, or specific to this context here. Well, it is fairly clear in the Old Testament that different body positions were used in worship. Kneeling, falling flat on the face, even dancing in the case of King David. Standing, lifting up hands, bowing the head, taking off the sandals as we think of Moses. Indicate reverence and awe and joy towards God. Now, this is not because a certain body position, hands raised high or low, is a necessary requirement. Kneeling or standing or sitting or falling down in worship, that these are required, or one of them is required more than the other. It is that when we realize how blessed is God, being ourselves uh, psychosomatic units, as a psychologist might say, that is, people who are not only souls, but bodies, and whose soul disposition, whose feelings influence their body positions that then when we truly and honestly bless God and say you're worth it this will no doubt influence what we today call our body language just like when someone scores a touchdown you pump the air so they are lifting up their hands Some people indicate their excitement in other ways or their commitment in other forms, standing or kneeling or sitting with concentration, leaning forward in their seats on these nice, cushy new seats. 
or a little hand raised surreptitiously behind the hymnal. As long as it is not distracting to others, for that would defeat the purpose of honoring God, wouldn't it, by inadvertently drawing attention to yourself. And, of course, there is a difference between private worship and congregational public worship in this regard. Public worship requiring more decorum and sensitivity to the tastes and presence of people of different personal dispositions if we are not all to be cookie-cutter exact images of each other. Now, let me illustrate what it means to live a life that blesses God like this. When the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry came to the end of his life, he blessed God in this way. Would you like to know where I am? I am at home in my father's house, in the mansion prepared for me. I am where I want to be. My sowing time is done, and I am reaping. My joy is the joy of the harvest. Would you like to know how it is with me? I am made perfect in holiness. Grace is swallowed up in victory. Would you like to know what I am doing? I see God, not as through a glass darkly, but face to face. I am engaged in the sweet enjoyment of my precious Redeemer. Would you like to know what blessed company I keep? It is better than the best on earth. Here are the holy angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. I am with many of my former acquaintances with whom I worked and prayed and who have come here before me. Lastly, would you like to know how long this will continue? It is a dawn that never fades. After millions and millions of ages, it will be as fresh as it is now. Therefore, weep not for me. Amen. And therefore, as we consider such a life that ends well, the application of this point about life that ends in blessing God is obvious. Live that way too. But finally, not only is this a life that blesses God and therefore shows us how wonderful it is to live like that, it is also a life that ends in being blessed by God. Well, now, my friends, this point is found in verse 3. And it carries on that frequent theme in Scripture that those who live to bless God are blessed by God. He is no man's debtor. He gives and our cup overflows. So verse 3, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So, the very creator of, of all, he who made heaven and earth, the whole universe in all its magisterial scope, he blesses us. Now, a life that is blessed by God then is to be sought more than anything else. Material possessions, power, fame, and worldly success can indeed be found while ignoring God. But such lives, I am afraid to say, are more warnings to avoid than examples to follow. 
History is littered with examples of men who have built their mansions and shriveled away in tiny rooms in those mansions, gradually estranged from family, friends, and at the end, even themselves. It's Charles IX who had ordered the St. Bartholomew's massacres, who said at the end of his life journey, what blood, what murders, I know not where I am, how will all this end, what shall I do, I am lost forever, I know it. But a life that is blessed by God That is a life that is worth living and pursuing and going on that journey together with all our passion and energy and time and commitment, everything we can muster. For we can see that it ends with God's blessing, creator of heaven and earth, on us as the journey is completed. Now the blessing here is the beginning of the famous priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6 that reverberates throughout all of these psalms of ascents. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now then, to be blessed by God, what does that mean? It means to be then in the covenant of God, of the people of God, and recipient of the favor of God out of Zion, his holy people. God's blessing is his salvation, his presence, his help, his love. Ultimately, him himself. The blessing of God is that God blesses you that you have God, the maker of heaven and earth, God for you, not against you. God's blessing is ultimately God and enjoyment of him. How can we humans receive such a blessing? Do we receive it because we bless God or because we live moral, upright lives and try to do what is right? Oh, no. Throughout the Old Testament, the blessing of God was sought, conscious through the prescribed sacrifice of animals that atonement was required to receive the blessing and yet aware that more was needed than a woolly sheep or goat to atone for our sins. And so we come to the New Testament, to Christ, and to his perfect blessing pronounced to the thief at his side who had no time to do anything of merit to earn that blessing but simply believe, today you will be with me in paradise. That blessing of God is the end of the journey that every sensible person then desires To receive it means to put our faith in that same Jesus who died on the cross for our sins that we might receive his blessing, that is his righteousness. Unmerited favor, pure grace, just like that thief on the cross for the asking, remember me when you come into your kingdom. May the Lord bless you from Zion. 
And so the journey ends through the prism of these psalms of ascents. They start low, leaving with trepidation. They end high with unembarrassed and unashamed, untarnished blessing and praise, with a finale that has no disappointment to it whatsoever. It is pure and simple blessing to God and God's blessing to us. It comes to us through the agency of the covenant of God, His blessing to Abraham through David. Finally, the story ending at the cross and Christ's resurrection from the dead, the gospel that is now preached to the ends of the earth, that story that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper this morning, that blessing. And as we come to the end of this particular journey, I wish then to point you towards that finishing point. Is this where your life is going, the death and then the resurrection? Will you complete your life like Rutherford who said, Oh, that all my brethren did know what a master I have served and what peace I have this day. I shall sleep in Christ and when I awake shall be satisfied with his likeness. Or like Richard Baxter who said, I bless God. I have a well-grounded assurance of my eternal happiness and great peace and comfort within And when asked right before the end how he was doing, replied, almost well. Is that how your story will end? Is that the journey that you are on? That is a journey, a pilgrimage with Christ for your companion heaven for your goal, and with the blessing of God on your lips, it's worth it, Lord. You are worth it. And the assurance of God's blessing in your lives through the atoning work of Christ. If that is the journey you are on, then rejoice this morning with no disappointment. You have chosen the path less traveled, but that ends well. And all is well that ends well. And if it is not, you are not on that path, that journey, then without delay, begin the journey that ends like this. Oh, Father, let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for this blessing. Help us to receive it by faith. The Lord bless you and keep you, your word says. Help us to receive that, to live a life that blesses you. To be on that path that ends so well. And so to live throughout even the difficult things of today. 
with a vision of the end that means that we know there will be no disappointment, no regrets, no hard feelings, or a wish that it had been otherwise, but simply blessing. Help us to take a step on that journey further this morning. And we pray it in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen.